All right, Harold Abrahams was a British track and field athlete. He was an Olympian in 1924, right? In the 100-meter sprint, it was depicted in 1981 movie, what? Chariots of Fire, very good, along with a runner named Eric Little. You all should know that. These should be catechism questions for all of us. Now, before the race and before winning this Olympic gold, he's in the locker room lacing up his cleats, and he says, quote, I will raise my eyes and look down that corridor four feet wide with 10 lonely seconds to justify my whole existence. Everyone is struggling for righteousness. And of course, then there's Rocky, right? Ah, and you have to do it with the accent. You have to do it with Philadelphia, so I'm going to do my best. Ah, come on, Adrian, it's true. I was a nobody, but that don't matter either, you know? Because I was thinking, it really don't matter if I lose this fight. It really don't matter if this guy opens my head either. Because all I want to do is go the distance. Nobody's ever gone the distance with Creed. And if I can stay, if I can go that distance, you see, and that bell rings and I'm still standing, I'm going to know for the first time in my life, see, that I weren't just another bum from the neighborhood. Everyone is struggling not to be a bum. A nobody. David Kinneman has written a recent best-selling book called Unchristian. It's being heralded for its groundbreaking research. Quote, more than four out of every five agreed that the Christian life is well described as trying hard to do what God commands. Two-thirds of churchgoers said, rigid rules and strict standards are an important part of the life and teaching in my church. Three out of five churchgoers in America feel that they do not measure up to God's standards. And one quarter admitted that they serve God out of a sense of guilt and obligation rather than joy and gratitude. Quote, our research shows that Christians believe the primary reason outsiders have rejected Christ is that they cannot handle the rigorous standards of following Christ. There is a nuance here that allows Christians to feel like they're better than other people, more capable of being holy and sinless. We rationalize that outsiders don't want to become Christ followers because they can't really cut it, end quote. Everyone is struggling for righteousness. It could be Olympic righteousness. It could be religious righteousness. It could be mom righteousness. It could be food righteousness. It could be parenting righteousness. It could be education righteousness. It could be a career righteousness. It could be body image righteousness. It could be wrestling, competition, righteousness. It could be relational righteousness, racial righteousness, culture righteousness, worship music righteousness, political righteousness, cause, ideology. You get the picture? Every single one of us is struggling for righteousness. I want you to look at verse 21. The first word there changes everything. A pastor friend of mine calls it Paul's big butt. You ready? But now the righteousness of God, or we could say the righteousness from God, has been manifested. Just like that 64 verses in Romans were just erased. Just like that. 
the struggle for righteousness is over. The translation could go like this, but now a justification from God has been made known. Verse 24 could go like this, and our righteousness freely by his grace. So the righteousness of God or the righteousness from God and justification are the same thing. Do you see that? The exact same thing. And what do they mean? They mean that a legal relationship, a legal status has been established. And I don't want you to think that the legal part gets in the way of it being deeply personal and deeply intimate and deeply, deeply encountering in a relationship. Take, for example, marriage, right? Doesn't uh, a legal reality in marriage doesn't make a relationship between a man and woman less personal and less loving and less intimate, does it? The legal reality of marriage actually makes the relationship between a man and woman more personal, more intimate, more loyal, more unshakable, more secure, more indestructible. The man says, honey, I love you to the moon and back. (laughs) I want to spend the rest of my life with you. I want to have a family with you. I want to grow old with you. I want to face life together. You complete me. Please, dudes, don't ever say that to another girl. I don't care who it is, don't ever say that. That's just stupid. The woman says what? Are you asking me to marry you? The man says, uh, uh, honey, um, our love doesn't need marriage. You don't need my promised love. You don't need my sealed covenant making before God, deeply forged, permanent committed love. My feelings of love for you are enough. The righteousness from God, verse 21. Justification, verse 22, is the establishment of a legal relationship with God. A legal relationship that consists of full acceptance and full welcome. Full approval and full validation. Full honor. The highest medals of honor there are with all the benefits and all the blessings and all the open doors and all the life that comes with it. One theologian puts it this way. Forgiveness means you may go. Justification means you may come. In verse 21, God welcomes you. He accepts you. He takes you in. He brings you home. He brings you inside what C.S. Lewis calls the inner ring forever. The struggle for righteousness is over. Your struggle for the acceptance and the approval of others is over in 21. Your struggle to prove yourself as a mom and in your career is over in 21. Your struggle 
to have worth and value and meaning in someone or something else ends in 21. Your struggle with failure over, your struggle with guilt and shame and condemnation from sin is over in 21. The struggle of being judged by others, feeling inferior to others is over. All your deep insecurities all your fears and anxieties end at 21. So how does this righteousness of God, this righteousness from God, this justification, how does it come to us? How does that happen? How does this legal, loving, unbreakable relationship with God that he establishes, how does it come to us? How do you get it? First, Paul tells us how it does not come to us. Do you see that? Verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested. Has been manifested means the righteousness of God showed up. It actualized in history. In time and space, it's a real righteousness. It's not an abstract idea of righteousness. In other words, it's not monopoly righteousness. Do you know what that is? You know, we play with monopoly money, monopoly railroads, monopoly what? Land, territory, Hotels, houses, even jail, it's abstract, it's not real. This is a real righteousness. This is a righteousness that's been manifested. It's a righteousness that breaks into history. It's a historical, personal, absolutely solid, concrete righteousness. Not abstract. Verse 21 again. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Second, the righteousness of God does not come to us by way of the law. What does this mean? Well, we've looked at it on and off, but here's here's the summary of it. In other words, it doesn't come to us by our own performance. No effort can achieve it. Your behavior cannot achieve it. Your actions cannot achieve it. Your thinking, remember we talked about that mental energy we all go through? Watch what happens when your life spins out of control in an area. What does your mind do? It goes in hyper overdrive, trying to figure it out and solve it. Your thinking can't achieve it. Your feelings can't achieve it. Your willpower can't achieve it. You can't do it. The reason is really shocking. He has spent 64 verses telling us the reason. And then he summarizes it in two verses in 22 and 23. You ready? For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The reason why righteousness cannot be obtained by our own performance is because we're broken. And we'll never not be broken in this life. This is very, very important. Paul's verb choices here are very carefully chosen. I want you to look at them. Paul chose um, a global aorist for all have sinned. That means it is a snapshot of your whole life 
from past, present, and future. And it is a snapshot of sinning in the past and sinning in the present and sinning in the future. It is a global snapshot that you and I are completely, comprehensively broken. The next one is really interesting. Fall short of the glory of God. That's present tense. That's mean, that means that no one, no one ever stops falling short of the glory of God. We could say it this way. We continually fall short of the glory of God. So how does the righteousness of God justification come to us? Not by our performance, because we don't have one. We're comprehensively broken, whether we're a Christian or not. So how does it happen? Look at verse 22. I want you to leave out through faith, and we'll get our answer. You ready? The righteousness of God, leave out through faith in Jesus Christ. The righteousness from God, justification, comes to us by way of Jesus Christ. Jesus' righteousness. Jesus' perfection. Jesus' performance. So the perfect righteousness the perfect record of Jesus. And how did he do it? In his life, he lived a perfect, obedient life. In his death, he was perfectly obedient, even to the point of death. And it's a glorious, divine righteousness that God, the Son himself, obtains and purchased and worked for and achieved and accomplished. And now it's freely given to those who are broken. Did you catch that grace in there? Verse 24, and are justified how? By his grace. It's freely given to those who sin, past, present, future. Freely given to those who continually fall short of the glory of God. So the broken are now pronounced, declared, legally righteous. A legal love relationship with God based on perfection, blamelessness, spotlessness, righteousness of Jesus himself has just been established. So notice what happens. It's incredible. When we trust God, when we trust Jesus, look at verse 22, that through faith part. It's talking about how now when we trust this, in uh, verse 22, for all who believe, when we trust this, when we trust in Jesus' righteousness, and it, it's saying we're not going to trust in our own performance. So it's being aware of two things. It's being aware of my performance can't get it. My performance can't establish this phenomenal, unbreakable, legal, loving relationship with God. My performance can't do it, but Jesus' can. And when we trust in Jesus' righteousness, his performance only, Jesus' perfection, his spotless record, his blamelessness is transferred to you and me. It comes to you and me and covers us like this robe and God looks at us and says, justified. Come into the inner ring. 
welcome, glory, honor, praise, adoration, rejoicing, your home. It's yours now. You have Jesus' perfection. Now think about this. Think hard. You have his approval, his acceptability. It's no longer about your acceptance. You have his acceptability. It's no longer about your record. You have his record. It's no longer about your performance. You have his performance. It's no longer about your work. You have his work. The struggle for righteousness is over. This changes everything. This changes everything. So what would it look like for you and me to have our personal struggle for righteousness end? I don't care whether you're a Christian or not. For the first time when that happens, you become a Christian. But as a Christian, you and I functionally struggle for righteousness and is the root of all or most 99.9% of our issues. What would it look like for the righteousness from God, Jesus' righteousness, to be known, experienced, felt deep in your bones? What would that look like? What would it look like to have it pushed into your relationships? To how you relate to suffering and, and pain and how we relate to blessing and success how we relate to work and obedience, how we relate to our careers. How do we relate to being a church and to the mission of the church? How it relates to life change and holiness. Paul is going to spend the rest of Romans showing us and telling us how. He's going to spend the rest of Romans showing us this kind of change and how it changes everything. And he's going to take the rest of the letter to do it. So this morning, we're going to end by being content with this. Okay, here it is. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones preached through Romans 2. If you're a pastor, I don't advise you. I advise you to read it. I don't advise you to emulate it. He took 13 years to do it. All right? I've already, like, eclipsed half of his sermons in, what, five or six sermons. So he did it on Friday night. It was called their midweek. And it was opened up to all of London. Every Friday night for 13 years, Westminster Chapel was packed from Christians, from other churches, from seekers, from everybody in the city. Not just people that went to his church. In fact, most of the people in his church didn't attend. It was people outside the church that attended. When he preached on this passage, you know what he said? Here's what he said. This is how we're going to end. The man who has faith is the man who is no longer looking at himself. And no longer looking to himself. He no longer looks at anything he once was. He does not look at what he is now. He doesn't look at what he hopes to be. He looks entirely to the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work on his behalf. Period. The struggle for righteousness is over. Let's end that struggle. Let's end it together while we go through Romans.
pray.